There's no place in the world quite like Rome. Rome is a mixture of the ancient and the modern. Modern Rome, the streets are packed with people. Everyday Romans pursuing their ordinary lives and tourists, people flocking from all over the globe to get a glimpse of its ancient wonders. Rome is the eternal city, the center of the greatest empire of the ancient world. A world that was very different from our modern one. A world that was deeply divided. A world full of despair. At the heart of the Roman Empire and the city of Rome itself was the Colosseum. Today, the most famous monument in the entire world. It was a home of epic and brutal battles known for its entertainment of the masses, best known for its gladiatorial battles. Though the Colosseum was not completed in Paul's day, I went looking for some clues. What could this massive structure teach me about Paul's letter to the Romans? This is the way the Colosseum looks today. The floor is gone now. The seats are all gone. 2,000 years worth of weather and looting have taken their toll. But you can still see the basic outline. And 2,000 years ago, there was a wooden floor covered with a thick layer of sand. Below the floor, called the hypogeum, was an area, a maze, where gladiators and wild animals were shuffled to and fro to get ready for their battle on that epic stage or to be carried off in defeat, even death. At the time, the Colosseum held 50,000, some people believe up to 87,000 people. Also at the time, Rome had a million people living in this massive city. And so, even though 50 to 80,000 seats is a lot of seats, when there was an epic battle going on in the Colosseum, it was tough to get a ticket. No one had to pay to go into the Colosseum, but you did have to get a ticket. The tickets were little pieces of, of clay that had numbers on them, and the numbers told you which entrance to use. 
70 to 80 different entrances. And you were separated by class. Senators had their own entrance. The emperor, they now believe, had his own separate tunnel entrance. And of course, then you were told on your ticket where to sit. And as you made your way up higher in the Colosseum, you were finding people in lower classes of society. There were clear divisions, even walls separating different sections, four major sections of the Colosseum. Some interesting history about the church in Rome will help us understand this a lot better. The church in Rome was comprised of Jews and Gentiles, or Jews and Greeks. And in 49 AD, the emperor expelled all the Jews from Rome. Actually, Paul met some of them on his travels, named Priscilla and Aquila, who had fled from Rome. A shift happened in that church, and all the Jews had been pushed out of the city, and so all the Jewish Christians would have been pushed out. And the only thing that would have been left in that early church in Rome would have been Gentiles. About five years later, this order was rescinded, and people were allowed to return back to Rome. But we don't know exactly when these Jews came back, how fast, but it's very possible since Paul wrote his letter in 57, just a couple years after this order is rescinded, that Paul's letter may have accompanied fellow Jews returning back. You see, the early part of Paul's letter gives clues as to what this was all about. He said the gospel was the good news for the Jew first and for the Gentile. And Paul was trying to perhaps reestablish something. The church needed to model the tearing down of divisions, of classes, of separations. And if the church could model it, if the church could tear down the wall between Jew and Gentile, then perhaps the walls could be torn down in society as well. But if they couldn't do it in the church, the world would never follow suit. All right, so if you're tracking with us, uh, we're going through Paul's letter to the Roman church. Now, next Sunday is, um, we're going to get to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is just, like if you're reading the Bible, it's just going to be like eating Halloween candy. I mean, it's just one delicious bite after another, all right? So next week, I mean, you're going to get rapid fire one-liners. You're going to get fire hosed with advice. This literally next week is the week that you want to bring your kids that you're dropping off to college. It's one good nugget after another, you know. Um, We call them life lessons in our house, right? These are life. This is something you can take to the bank. This is how you should live your life. They're practical. They're zippy one-liners. That's next week. Today is uh, NCIS, all right? Today is nerdy Christian investigating scripture, all right? This is, we have to back up the bus a minute because uh, when I was in school, I read the book of Romans in high school and and I was reading through it. Um, In fact, I was talking to one of the the youngsters here at Orchard Grove. He's 18 and he was telling me he's reading 
through the Bible, and, uh, and, I, and I, we, we met and had coffee and we were talking about it. He had all these questions for me, of course, as you would. And I remember reading through the book of Romans, and there's a lot of interesting things in there. And then when I got to like chapters 9, 10, and 11, I just didn't get it. Anybody ever read something in the Bible and you're like, I just, I don't know what's going on here. I'm sure it's good, but I have no idea. And it, it gets a little uh, wonky for a kid from Flint who's just sitting down trying to put all this together. And so um, today, as we do a little, we'll do a little nerdy investigation, we, we can start to make sense of something that at the surface could be really confusing. And I, I, let's just say also, man, you know, Chris, I got, I got real problems. You know, like I, I'm, I got bills to pay. I got grumpy neighbors. I got a boss that's a jerk. I got all these things I'm dealing with in my real life. I don't really have time for this. Just hold on for a minute, all right? Next week will be really zippy, all right? But today, we're going to just back up. If we can learn something, it could help us. And this is what it could help us with. It could help us because what we're talking about in this letter is hope and healing for our world. Hope and healing for our world. How do we fix our world? Now, again, as we've been saying throughout, salvation all right, is often seen as escape from this world, leaving this world. But what Paul writes about is not escape from this world, but hope for this world. It's actually to fix the world that we're in now. How do we do that? And how did they do that then? The only way to fix the world is to fix the humans in the world. The only way to fix the humans in the world is to fix the human what? Heart and mind. That's it. If you fix this, then this is going to be good, right? If, if I can get you to think differently, believe differently, then the actions just naturally follow. That's the way. And so Paul is um, going to introduce an idea that is an uphill climb. Very, very difficult. But Paul bravely sets out to get us to think in a different way. Here's the different way. Um, when you and I grow up, we separate things. It's, it's, a, it's a good practice. It helps us survive in life. So um, last week, Charlie came up to me after church, and she showed me her Sunday school lesson. And she had her papers, and she showed me, and they learned about David and Goliath down in Kids World last week. So she had a picture of David with the sling and the big giant with the sword and the shield. And, and then she was telling me the story. She goes, oh, Dad, I forgot the heart. I forgot the heart. And I think they were giving out little hearts, and I think they were putting like a heart on David like he was like a brave heart, you know. And she was just distraught, started crying. So we ran back down to Kids World, and we found a heart sticker, and we put it on David, and the world is good. And then she told me the story, and she said, Dad, that's the bad guy, Goliath. Every time we watch a movie, inevitably there's a good guy and a what? 
And I don't know where she picked up this thing, but immediately she had, when she's watching movies, she'll, she'll tell me, I'll come in, I'll say, what are you watching? And she'll say, oh, Pinocchio. And then, you know, the, the one guy that takes Pinocchio away. So that's the bad guy. He's a bad guy. And then she says this, dad, we don't like him, right? And I go, yeah, we don't like him, right? Now, when you're three years old, this is a very good practice, learning to sort the world out, right? In other words, I, I hope she stays away from bad people, right? I hope she can navigate it. She can sort this out. And what we've learned to do in the world is to separate. The problem is when we get older, I didn't have the heart to tell her what a scumbag David really was. I mean, if you've ever read it, I mean, don't get mad at me. Just read it. I mean, this guy did some really, really, really nasty stuff, right? Now, what we realize is that life is complicated, we also realize that you're complicated. That what? I'm complicated. That it's, everything's not so easily put into categories of good and bad. And not only that, but you can't just put these people over here and say, all of these people are this way. But that was completely accepted in Rome in that day. I didn't have time in the video to go into all the details, but if you were a woman, get up there with the slaves we aren't talking to you down here, right? And if, if you were a, a senator, you were down there and slaves were bringing you grapes at your nice wide bench with a cushion on it. The top, they had rickety wooden uh, benches, you know. You're just holding on for dear life up there. And everybody accepted that this is where you have to go. You belong here, you belong here, you belong here. Paul introduces an idea in Romans 10 and he says something that's a shocker. He says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference. Now, this would have been hard for anyone to grasp. And as we started to learn in, in unpacking this story, Paul wanted to go to Rome so badly, but he couldn't get there. So he sent this letter before he went there. But this event that happened when the emperor kicked out all the Jews from Jerusalem gives us a clue as to what Paul was writing about here. So imagine this. The, the church, the early church, remember, they met mostly in houses, perhaps in a synagogue, right, in, in um, Jerusalem. And there were Jews and there were Gentiles, and the early church movement, or the early followers of Jesus, they all met in synagogues. And they let non-Jews come in, Gentiles. They call them God-fearers. And then as there were these movement of people following Jesus, the church had Jews and Gentiles. So what happened when the emperor removed all of the Jews? You had a completely what? Gentile church. So I, I don't know how to put it into context, but like, let's just say, you know, here we are. We're all here. We get together every Sunday. We worship. We do this. And all of a sudden, it's unthinkable, but somebody had the power to remove everybody from Flint, Michigan. If you grew up in Flint, you're out of here, right? And, and then, you, is it just me? Do I, is there two friends out there? Anyway, so they removed a certain segment of us, and we just, got, we just got moved out. Well, if we got moved out, Something would have to happen. Someone else would have to come up here and do this. Someone else would have to you know, maybe sing a song. And, some, and all of the Jewish leaders, they were, they were taken out. 
And that went on, we know, for probably about five years. The emperor died, you know, kind of like a lady put some poison in a feather and stuck it down his throat pretending she was helping him, blah, blah, blah. He's dead. The order is rescinded, and now they can make their way back. But what happened? This group that had learned to live together, somehow there got to be some division. Now, I'm, I'm up here. I don't, you're, you're coming back here, but we're good. We don't, we don't need you here. Paul had to write this letter to a troubled community that was having trouble receiving people who were, in fact, their foundation. Now that makes more sense when I read a passage like this that I remember reading in high school. If some of the branches had been broken off, he's talking about the Jewish tree, God's tree, and they got broken off. Though a wild olive shoot had been grafted in, the wild olive shoot grafted in is a Gentile or the Gentiles, right? Grafted in, they now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root. All right, he says this. Do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Paul says, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Paul said, I've had this ministry to the Gentiles for a long time. He was very proud of it. He took it on the chin, literally. We saw his sufferings. He took it over and over and over again because he wanted to include the Gentiles. But it seems like somehow now in that particular Roman church, all the Jews have been sent away, and now they were having trouble returning them back. And he says, hey, not so easy. If the, if the natural branch got broken off, how much easier would the grafted one get broken off? Don't be arrogant, he says. Don't be arrogant. How do you talk to people who are deeply divided. Well, that doesn't happen in our world. <laughs> deeply, deeply divided. You have to get them to think differently. You have to. You have to get them to think that they aren't actually two separate people, but they are actually one. That they're one. And Paul makes a statement, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now, clearly in their mind, there had always been. There was always a difference. There's us and them. Paul introduces an idea that's completely revolutionary. Another one of his letters, the book of Galatians in the Scripture, he goes, now in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, he goes on. There's no slave or free. Can you imagine Paul's Colosseum? Sit where you like. There is no male or female. We're all one in Christ. We're all one. How do you get people to think that we're all a part of the same family? We're all equally important. You have to start by changing the mind. Little Charlie, she can do well because, because when we're growing, we need simple things. We need simple. This is the good guy, Dad. Right. This is the bad guy. Right. And then you grow up. 
And then maybe you realize that all the people you were told in life are all the good team and all these people were the bad team. Then you met someone on the bad team. Does this ever happen in college to somebody? I met a person in here. I don't mind saying. I think it's it's worth talking about. He said, I grew up in in a white area. I grew up, everybody around me was white. That's what I knew. And there were some subtle comments made about how black people are. And he goes, that's just how I grew up. I can't fault the man for how he grew up. Can anybody be faulted for how they grew up? That's how they grew up. Everybody grew up some way. He goes, and then I went to college. And uh, I had never been around black people. I had heard about black people, but I had never been around them. And then it was around them. And I met this guy. He was like the coolest guy. And he wasn't at anything at all like the people my parents told me about. Has this ever happened to somebody? It could be about our skin color. It could be about our race. It could be about a religious ideology, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, you meet them. How has the heart changed? You remember Paul's own experience? Paul is sure that he's on the right team. He says he's Jewish, and he's going to help everybody follow the, toe the Jewish line. But uh, there was a break off of his fellow Jews and they started following this man, this Nazarene. And Paul goes to persecute them. And on his way, he's going to have them arrested and threatened and, and, and intimidated and told, you better toe the line and follow the, the, the ways we were taught. And he, on his way, he gets knocked on his rear end by a blinding light, a vision of Christ. Sometimes when we're stubborn, anybody stubborn here? Just elbow somebody nearby. (laughs) Anybody stubborn? Paul was just, nope, I know the right way. We're right and they're wrong. We're right and they're wrong. And for Paul, it took a blinding light, right? It took getting knocked on his backside, not seeing for three days, so that he could start to truly see the light. The thing that happens is this. When you believe you're always right, when you believe that your opinion and your team and your side, you're always right, no matter what, you get locked in. And then you're not able to see what other people can see. Paul's experience finding Christ on that path, the blinding light, was the only thing that could shake Paul and for the rest of his life for the rest of his life Paul makes it his mission to help people see the light that's why over and over again in this letter Paul says things like this to all to all to all he starts the whole letter if you remember saying, all the Gentiles, they're sinners. They sin. They do this, they do this, they do this. And we talked about what sin is and its selfishness and how it tears us apart and how it tears the world apart. And he makes this compelling case. And then he goes, "Ah, ah-ah, not so fast. My fellow Jewish brothers, you too, you have the law and you too are Sinners, you break the law too. And then he, he, his whole thing is about all. We all equally sin. We all equally fall short. We're all in the same sinking boat, all of us. But you know what we like to do? We like to find someone that sins just a little bit more than us. 
This is our comfort food, right? No, it is. is it, how, do, how do I feel better? I just find someone that sins just a little bit more, and I just keep pointing at them. And Paul's trying to teach something that's just absolutely essential. He's saying we're all the same, all of us. And if you miss that part, you miss the whole story of what Paul's talking about in Romans. It's not that you can count this guy has 12 sins today and you only have two. He says we're all the same. And we're all part of the same family. And God calls all of us. And he saves all of us by his grace. Not by what we do or what group we're a part of, but by his grace. Everybody say grace together. One, two, three. Grace. What's grace? Grace is just God's gift. God's gift. Do you guys do this at Christmas? Do you, do you, do you line up like the worthy kids on this side of the living room and the other worthy ones over here? <clears throat> how, do you, how do you distribute gifts? You do it with a scowl. You don't deserve it, but... Huh? I mean, how do you give the gifts? You just give them. I mean, if you're halfway human and you have a heart or a soul, you just give them. You give them not because they're worthy, even though you threatened them and you did all this stuff. I mean, am I true? You, let's be honest. They're all threats and lies. <laughs> At the end of the day, you just give gifts. You just give them. You just give them. You give because you love. You don't give because they did worthiness or deservingness. We're all just saved by God's grace. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. How sad is it at a certain point, but I deserve this more than this person deserves. It's like, no, no, no. We're all just, we all just receive with gratitude. And that makes us humble, doesn't it? It makes us humble, and we realize we're all, all of us the same. And we're all just grateful for God's ridiculous generosity. As the scripture says that he lavished on us. Pause for a minute, friend. Because today, it needs to go from investigating to integrating into your heart. Listen carefully. Today's the day to let go of you being better than anybody. That's today. You're, you're amazing. You're already beyond amazing, but you don't need to be better than anybody. You just need to be the amazing person that you are. And then Paul writes this letter, and he goes, there's no difference between us. What if the world could wake up to that message? All of us have fallen short. And all of us receive this gift of God's grace. And that's it. Whoever calls. The last night when I was shooting these videos, we were, we were really exhausted. And I was hustling around Rome trying to get it all done. And um, Charlie took her shoes off. It, you know, I learned something over the years. Years ago I did a series like this. And I went all over... Uh, Turkey and shot videos about Paul's other letters. And man, it was a lot easier without a three-year-old. 
<laughs> we're hustling through, uh, hustling through Rome, and she takes her shoes off. And, I, you know, after a while, anybody know what? Like, I don't have time to fight about it. Like, barefoot's good. Barefoot's good. And it started raining, you know, and now there's mud in the streets and everything. I'm like, muddy feet are good. That's good, too. And after all, I'm just, I just keep shooting video. Just keep working on it. And, and she's walking around in the mud and the, in the rain and everything. And, and uh, I, had, I had delayed her gelato portioning all day because I was using it like a, like a moving carrot. You may know what I'm talking about. Like, we're going to have gelato. Just be obedient. Right? And I just kept moving the stick out, right? And then it, was, it started at noon, and then it just was 2 o'clock, and then now the, the sun's going down, and I forget how, what time it went down, 8, or 9 or whatever, and, and the sun's going down, and it's raining. And uh, finally, we got all the videos shot. We stopped to get her gelato, and, I mean, this kid was wiped out. I mean, she was toast. And I came back, put her in the hotel room <laughs> with her muddy feet, and I, I took a picture of her feet because I remembered this. I remembered this verse from when I was a kid, Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. And I thought about Paul's feet. Paul's feet could not have been beautiful. You know what I mean? If you think of some nasty feet, you'd probably think the Apostle Paul. That guy had walked and been. There were probably some gnarly, burly things going on in there. How many know he didn't get pedicures? Man, those are some beautiful feet. Huh? I think of Paul's feet like I think of my grandpa's hands. You know? I mean, those are not magazine hands, but those are some, I almost swore, some really good hands. Huh? A lot of wrenching, a lot of working, a lot of callous. Some beautiful hands. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news? I saw those dirty feet and put her to sleep. I thought, that's it. Paul did all of that so that you and I, so the people then and would carry forward to today could hear good news, right? God is a gift for all, that we're all the same. We all fall short. But God has a gift, the gift of his grace for each and every one of us. There's no difference. Let's stand. We'll have a closing prayer. God, we pray today that you would give us this gift. The gift of letting go of our ego. May it have to unravel ever so slowly. But to stop thinking, worrying, wondering if we're better than someone else. Because we're all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. But we're all one. Open our hearts Give us room in our hearts for that message today so that we can fully explore the daily life of love that we're going to talk about next week. We thank you. In Christ's name.
Amen. 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 Happy Sunday, Orchard Grove.